ahead and take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series on the Beatitudes this morning. And I know that someone in this room, probably many people, someone for sure needs to hear this today. Because you have been drinking the poison of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness, expecting it to change a situation. And it's done nothing but rob you of the hope that God has for you. And so before I even read the scripture, my prayer for you is that you would walk out of this place healed and made whole by the grace and the goodness of your Father. Jesus says, starting with verse 1 of Matthew 5, he says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and who thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And our beatitude for today is God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, I just take pause in this moment and I thank you for your tangible presence. Lord, I know that wherever I go, you are always there. But there are moments, God, where maybe it's not that your presence is more available. Maybe it's just the sensitivity of my spirit to know that you were there. And God, I know that you are here. Father, I pray that as I do what little I can do, that you would do what it is that you and you alone can do. That you would take simple words, anoint them with your grace and use them to transform hearts and lives and that we would leave this place changed by the glory of God to shine like lights in our dark world. And I pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And Lifehouse said, amen. Come on, can y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Amen. Amen. God is good. You're supposed to say all the time and all the time. Come on now. Well, if you are relatively new to Lifehouse, my name is Drew and I get the honor of being the pastor here. I don't know why they let me do it. I'm glad they do. And, um, and so I'm just so happy that you are here with us. And I don't care if it's your first time or your 500th time, your family, and we love you. 
And we're just thankful that you are part of what God is doing here. Amen. I also want to welcome everyone joining us online today. Uh, so yeah, can we give it up for LifeHouse in your house? We've got several families that are, uh, there's sickness in their home and they're not with us today, but they're hanging out with us on Facebook. And uh, there's a few of them that even started a Facebook account uh, just so they could watch online. And you know, that, that's the Lord right there. <laughs> that is the Lord right there. So we love you, LifeHouse in your house. Uh, thank you uh, for, for joining us today. Just because you're not here with us in person doesn't mean that you are any less part of what God's doing here. Amen? Amen. So the Beatitudes, uh, I've said this pretty much every single week as I have introed this message, are these nine statements that Jesus uses as his introduction to what is the greatest sermon ever preached. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, that would be like me titling uh, my sermon, the Sermon on the Fakewood Stage, right? <laughs> Because it was on, a, that was funny. Somebody should laugh at that. Because there's no way this is real. Um, this is what you call laminates. Anyway, uh, and so it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he didn't have a title. But you know what? He didn't need a title. It was such a good message. Uh, people remembered it even without a title, right? Uh, we have the best account of it here in Matthew, but you also get some tidbits of it in the Gospel of Luke as well. And it takes place from in your Bible, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. If you've never read, first of all, if you've never read the Gospels, man, uh, go, go read the Gospels. Uh, read, the, read the Gospel of Matthew. And then when you're done with that, read the Gospel of, of Mark, uh, you know, because it's next, right? And then, and then move on to, to Luke because, you know, it comes after Mark, and so on and so forth. And then, and then once you think you like, you have a good idea of what the Gospels contain. Read the Gospel of John and go, what? And if you've read it, you understand. And if not, you'll figure it out real quick. So um, anyway, these are nine upside down statements that where Jesus is using these statements to describe what the kingdom of God looks like instead or versus the kingdom of this world. We were joking around before service. We were talking about politics, which is always good to talk about at church. You know, we should do it more often, right? You know, everybody wants to hear about politics when they're worshiping the Lord. But we, it was a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. We don't do that. Um, but it said, you know, hey, we're here today to, to, to uplift the kingdom of God. We're not here to discuss the kingdoms of man. Because here's the thing. I don't care how good your government is or how good your political leader is or how good your policies are. The kingdom of man will always, in some shape, form, or fashion, fail you because it will ha have been constructed by men who, despite their good intentions, are imperfect and are unable to provide us with a perfect government, perfect policies, or perfect structures. Amen. But the kingdom of God is different. And here's the thing. The kingdom of God doesn't make sense. But if you will live it and you will let it live in you, you will find out that even though it is not logical, it works. It works. And so here's the thing. And I said this last week and I'll say it this week and I'll probably say it again next week. I am praying and I am believing God for revival in our church, in our homes, in our, in our city, in our community, in our surrounding areas, in our country. But I can't pray for something. I can't pray for God to do something on a community level or even on a church level. And certainly not on the level of our country if I'm not first willing to pray that he would do it in me. See, I can't pray for God to move in our church if I'm not first and foremost praying for God to move in my life. 
You say, I don't, I don't care. Here, here's how the kingdom of God works. You don't get what you want. You don't get what you want. You get what you plant. So you can pray for it all day long. You can say, I believe for revival. But if you are not willing to allow the spirit of God to plant revival in your heart, you will never see a harvest of revival. You can pray for God to transform somebody's life. But if you are not first willing to allow God to transform your life, you will not see the transformation you're praying for. Here's the deal. You don't get what you want. But you, you reap what you sow. Man, I'm telling you, I know you don't know it right now, but that is so much better preaching than you're letting on. Like, that's good stuff right there. You should write that down. You don't get what you want, but you get what you plant. Come on. You want to see your kids start acting a little differently? You don't get what you want, but if you will start modeling for them the behaviors that you want to see out of them, you'll get what you plant. Anyway, y'all ain't ready for that. You know, my oldest is nine, so obviously I know everything about parenting. <laughs> obviously. I want God to spark revival in me. And then I know that what God does in me, he will do in my home. And what he does in my home, he'll do in my church. And what he does in our church, he will do in our community. And what he does in our community, I'm believing God that he'll do in our county, right? I got to think of these more C words here. Our circumference. <laughs> Our country, right? And I can't think of a C word for world or earth. Um, continents. There you go. Plural. And that's what real revival really is. It's heart transformation on the individual basis that starts in one person and spreads. And we're talking spreads in a good way. You know what I mean? Like not in the bad way that we're so used to talking about these days. But wouldn't it be fantastic to see the work of God in us become as contagious as the diseases and the sicknesses that we're trying to avoid? I think I might just preach today. You know, when I was younger, when I first became a Christian, we would talk about revival all the time. I was a teenager. And this is what I thought revival was. I thought revival was packed church services. I thought revival was full altars. I thought revival was people speaking in tongues and prophesying and people, you know, being prayed for. And as they're being prayed for, they, they pass out in the spirit. I thought revival was having Jericho marches around your property. Um, we ain't doing that part. You go ahead. You go ahead. I don't want to see the walls come tumbling down. We're trying to keep them up. Okay? Literally. Like, don't you do that around this property. You go do that at your house. Have, that'd be a fun conversation with your adjuster, right? But the older I get, and you know, maturity in Christ has nothing to do with your chronological age. You could be, have been a Christian for 50 years, but you could still be a baby in Christ because you have refused to do the necessary things to grow in your faith, and which are you read your word, you meditate on it, you, you stay in consistent communion with your Father, and you share your faith. And if you're not doing those things, you're, you are at the same level of faith as you have been since you first became a Christian if you're not consistently doing those things. And as I get older and as I grow in the Lord and as I grow in my faith, I, I don't 
care as much about the big church services or the big conferences. You know, people are like, oh, we're going to have this big revival service at such and such place. And I, that, there's nothing wrong with those things by any means. And we may have those. We may be part of those. But can I tell you, those aren't the answer. They're good. They're fun. At the, at the best, though, they are, not the, they are not the source of revival. They would be the fruit of revival. Right? And, and, and listen, I, I want to say like Paul, I'll, I'll pray in tongues more than anybody else in the room. I, and and if, if, listen, some of y'all are like your first time here and you're thinking, wow, they do that here. Yeah, it's in the Bible. So like, listen, <laughs> let's, just, let's just do what the Bible says. Let's, let's, let's believe the Bible. Let's don't believe what we think the Bible says. Let's just let's believe what it actually says. Oh, that stuff makes me uncomfortable. Well, a man who claimed to be God died and rose again so that you could go to heaven when you died. So stop worrying about feeling weird. It's all weird, right? So just embrace the whole thing or get off the boat, right? So like, and I would think, you know, speaking in tongues means revival. And and once again, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's a wonderful thing. And and if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the gift of praying in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, if you don't have the the gifts of prophecy, can I tell you the idea that, oh, that's just not my gifting? My friend, like, you just need to read your Bible a little bit more. And you would understand that you have a whole lot more that's available to you than you currently possess because you refuse to dig down deep and let your roots grow in Christ. And those are great and those are good and those are fantastic and they should be pursued. But they are not revival. They are the fruit of revival. They are the product of revival. Real revival is heart transformation on the individual basis that is so powerful that it refuses to be contained to just one person. But that it it will spread to a home. It will spread throughout a family. It will spread into a church. Real revival will not start here. Real revival will start at your house. And if you show up here on a Sunday morning every single Sunday expecting what we have here to change your house, you will continually be disappointed. But if you will allow it to start in here and then spread to your home and then you will bring it here, my friend, you will begin to see what real revival looks like. Real revival is not feeling God. Listen, if I did stuff based off of my feelings, I would not be here this morning. I would still be laying on my Serta. I think it's a Sealy, actually. I don't know. It starts with an S. Some of y'all watching online, that's what you did. You need to get in church, son. Now, real revival. Transform hearts. Transform minds. Restore families. Freedom from addiction, freedom from pornography, freedom from prescription drugs, freedom from negative thoughts that flood your mind, freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry, freedom from anger. Real revival is being part of a church that you're not always showing up to consume something, but you're showing up to give something. Real revival is seeing what we do in here change what we see out there. And if it doesn't do that, we may have had a great church service, but what did it matter in eternity? 
One day we will be dead and gone. One day this church as a, as, as a structure and as a congregation will no longer exist. But what we did outside of these walls, that's what will outlive us. And that's what will matter when eternity comes. And so Jesus, when he's giving us what we call the Beatitudes, he's not giving us a list of rules to follow. He is showing us what kingdom living looks like. He is showing what it means to belong to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. He, he is exemplifying it for us. So, so we, read, we read this, God blesses those who are merciful or, 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 or blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. They shall be given mercy. And, and I've told you this for the few weeks now, you know, uh, and this is what the Good News Bible translation, which honestly, uh, it's, it's actually probably a little more accurate to what Jesus is actually trying to communicate. It says, happy are those who are merciful to others. Happy are those and happiness, and we're not talking about happiness that's based on happenings. We're talking about happiness that is based on the work of God in me that has changed me. Happy are those who are merciful to others. God will be merciful to them. And, and, and so the opposite is so good to think about when you're studying something like this because it helps you see what the flip side of that is. So if I was to write the opposite to Matthew 5, 7, it would be cursed are those who live in judgment towards others instead of mercy and grace. For they themselves will receive judgment instead of mercy and grace. But that is how the kingdom of this world works, right? You do me wrong, I do you wrong. You hurt me, I cut you off. If you, if you lie to me, then I know I can never trust you again. So therefore, uh, I, won't, I won't help you out next time you come to me in need. You talk bad about me behind your back, you're dead to me, right? That is how the kingdoms of this world work. That is how the kingdom of man functions, which is why the kingdom of man will always fail, will always fall, will always falter in comparison to the kingdom of God. And it's upside down, right? It makes no sense to my human brain. It doesn't, it doesn't correlate with what I understand to be real and logical and rational. But if we're going to live by faith, we have to live by what we know and who we know, not by what we feel and what we see. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, there is a phrase in Christian culture that gets thrown around a lot. And the phrase is, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't, you don't, you don't know me. And then the flip side of that is, oh, they're just being a hypocrite. And I just tell you, your life will be a whole lot better if you just never let either one of those phrases come out of your mouth. You need to shut your mouth because you don't know what you're talking about. Okay? I love you. But hush up. We say things like, don't judge me. You don't know me. Here's the deal. Judgment is not love-motivated confrontation. That's kindness. You know what the Holy Spirit does to you when he first comes into your life? 
He's not trying to get you to speak in tongues or pray in the spirit or fall out on the floor. He is trying to confront sin in your life saying, hey, you think these things are good for you, but I'm a whole lot smarter than you. And so you, you need to think about cutting this out of your life. He confronts you not because he's mad at you, but because he's mad for you and because he loves you. And if you've got a real good friend or a brother or a sister in Christ, they will come to you in a spirit of love and, and, and call out things that they see. Hopefully not all the time because nobody likes that. And, and the Holy Spirit doesn't do that either, right? He doesn't, you don't get saved and, and, and you feel the Lord speak to you and, you and he gives you this 13 page list of things in your life that are wrong and that you need to change. I've been following Jesus since I was 15 years old. I'm 37 right now. And can I tell you, friend, like, I don't know how long my list is, but I've barely started checking off the things, right? He just, he just, I don't wake up every morning with him saying, you know, true, yesterday you said this and you did this and you thought this. He doesn't do that to me, so don't be that guy that does that to your friend either. But at the same time, love your brother or sister enough to confront them when you know they are partaking of something that will hurt them. Because that's not judgment. That's love. And if you don't think that's in the Bible, you haven't read the Bible. Paul, almost every single one of the letters he wrote to the churches he wrote, Corinthians, Galatia, uh, Ephesians, well, Ephesians, yeah, but I was thinking about what he said. Anyway, Thessalonica, even Jesus, when he speaks to John, when John's on the Isle of Patmos, and he says, write these letters to these churches. He's, called, he's saying, listen, you're doing this, and it's wrong. And he confronts it, and he says, you don't have to live this way. This isn't God's best for your life. So judgment is not love-motivated confrontation. Judgment is speaking of and behaving towards others according to their actions, but to yourself according to your intentions. That's a good preaching. I just heard it out there somewhere. That was funny. Judgment is speaking of and behaving towards others according to their actions, but ourselves according to our intentions. One preacher said it like this. He said, we've become great judges of others' sin but great lawyers of her own. I figured I'd get an amen over here from that one. A too, real there. too a little too real. But it's true. We've become great judges of others' sins, but great lawyers of our own. It's because we judge other people by what we see. We judge ourselves by what we meant. And we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we, it's hard to give it to someone else, right? Have you ever been let off the hook for something? Yeah? It's one time. Don't you like these stories that start off this one time? I could, going down this road, I could actually say these many times. Um, I was a junior in high school, and I was going to a basketball game at my high school. It was uh, late fall, early winter. And I had a 1996 Mitsubishi Eclipse with a, with a soft top. And uh, Fast and Furious, uh, I believe, had just came out, the first one. I don't know for sure if it had, but for the story's sake, it makes it sound better if I said it did. 
And I took the back roads to my school. Now, I'm from a very small town in the middle of Mississippi, and so back roads were my life, right? We always rode the back roads. And on this one little back road that was barely paved, uh, it was very straight, and it went uphill, and then you went to a four-way stop, and then it went right back downhill. But the beautiful thing was if you went there at night, you could turn your headlights off, off as you approached and see if anybody was coming the other way. And so, being the good Christian boy, I was a Christian at the time. I just wasn't a smart one that I was, I turned my headlights off and I threw it down into fourth or third gear and I sped up and I got up to about 85, 95 miles an hour, turned and looked as I, you know, got a little closer, turned my lights back on and jumped that hill like nobody was even looking, having the best time of my life and surprisingly didn't bust an axle up or something. And it was great air. I'm talking like, it was, it was fantastic. I was by myself. I wish I had an audience. It was great. But here's the thing, I did have an audience. Little to my knowledge at the moment, there was a sheriff's deputy sitting, just chilling out, eating dinner uh, as he was patrolling just these little backwoods. Apparently there had been a, rob a string of robberies around people's homes and so he would just chill out there and, 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 and just <sighs> wait, for, wait for dumb teenagers to jump hills and run stop signs and go 95 and a 35. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so next thing I know, there's a car behind me, and it's getting really close to me. And, and so, you know, I did the smart thing. I, I dropped it back in the third gear and tried to see if I could outrun them. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm going around these little curves, and and so normally I would go left right here at this little, where the two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Anyway, and two roads diverged and normally I would go left. And in this moment I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend to go left. But at the last minute, I'm going to throw up my e-brake and I'm going to slide my car around and I'm going to go right. Because, you know, I'm, I was basically Vin Diesel. <laughs> I just needed some NOS. That's all I needed. And, um, and so I did that. And as soon as I, I did this, that's when the lights came on. Can, I just want you to think about this for a moment. I am like 16, 17 years old, right? I have, I have just done some stuff that this police officer, the sheriff's deputy had seen. I want you to think about for a moment what's going through my mind. Like, I honestly thought I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. Like, I could have killed somebody, and it wouldn't be as bad as what I have just done. And, and so, you know, uh, tears flowing, everything shaking. I pull over on the side of the road, and this gentleman gets out of his car. He walks up to my window, and in words that I will not repeat in this setting, he tells me to get out of my car um, with very strong and uh, non-affirming language. I'm just, so, so I, I get out of my car and he begins to, to talk to me in a very fatherly tone. And uh, it goes on for several minutes. And, and can I just tell you, I am, I don't know that I've ever cried like that before in my life. I was, I just, I didn't want to go to jail. I knew, you know, I was too pretty for that. And I probably shouldn't have said that. No, I was scared, y'all. I was so afraid. 
And after a few minutes of him telling me what he should do to me and why he should do it to me and all the things he says, he gets quiet and he says to me, he says, son, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? And I said, I, I guess I just wasn't. And he says, here's the deal. I live not too far from here. I patrol these roads very often. If I ever see this little red car break another law, you will be the last time you drive down through here. And I don't know what kind of, what he exactly meant, but I said, yes, sir. Can I tell you guys, like, he didn't even look at my license. He probably should have. And he should have given me every ticket he could have. He probably should have taken me in. And if, if my kids ever do something like that, uh, more power to the sheriff's deputy. Please do everything in your power, not to just scare my children, but to make it a memory they will never forget. <laughs> I deserved it, right? But can I tell you, I was so happy. I was so relieved. I turned my car around and went back home and prayed to God all night. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for sparing my life in that moment. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't even, I was too scared. I was too, I literally shook all night long in fear. And I, I could have kissed the feet of that sheriff's deputy, right? Like I could have, I literally could have gotten out on my knees and hugged his legs, thanking him for, for his forgiveness and his mercy and his kindness, even though he probably should have done something. He didn't, and I'm okay with that now. But I could have, I, 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 I would have spent the rest of my life if I'd known who he was telling him, thank you, thank you for that night of mercy. Well, Jesus encounters a very similar situation in Luke chapter 7. And this is what it says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman, certain immoral woman. That is New Living Translation for prostitute, just so you know. From that city, heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Matthew's account tells us that this jar was worth a year's wages. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice he didn't say this out loud, but he thought it in his mind because see, judgment and condemnation doesn't always come out of our mouth. A lot of times it's just things that we think about, right? About other people that we see, right? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. Aren't you so thankful that Jesus doesn't have a qualifier test for you to get close to him? You don't have to jump through the, come on, you don't have to come to him clean. You come to him like you are and he does the cleaning and he does the work. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman it is. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Come on, how many of you know that he knows you better than you know you? Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And I just, I can imagine Simon's like, oh, yeah, go ahead, teacher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did he hear that? Like, you know. Simon replied, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 
500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. I know that you probably think you're an okay person, but can I tell you that apart from the grace and goodness of God, all have sinned. And while the consequences of sin are different, you know, we say things like, oh, all sin's the same. That's not true, you know? Stealing a pack of gum from a convenience store is different than, you know, beating somebody with a baseball bat. I'm just saying, like, just so you know. You know, the, sin, the consequences of sin are very different. But all sin, everybody say all sin, has one thing in common. It separates you from God. All sin. And Paul says, all have sinned and all have felt short of the glory of God. And that the penalty of sin, just one sin, just, just a singular sin, is eternal separation from God. So I want to ask you, as you sit there today, how merciful has God been to you? How merciful has God been to you? Jesus we call it the Lord's Prayer. It would probably better be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's not a prayer that Jesus prayed for himself. It was a prayer model that he taught to his disciples. In that prayer, in, in verse 12 of Matthew 6, he tells us to pray, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And here's the deal. You cannot earn God's forgiveness. You can only receive God's forgiveness. But, everybody say but. A lot of us struggle with that concept and we think that the only way we can truly be forgiven by God is if we will mentally beat ourselves up for the wrong that we know we've done and we talk bad about ourselves to ourselves and we think less of ourselves because we judge ourselves and, and, and so we think and somehow by, by hurting ourselves and being mean to ourselves that we are somehow earning the forgiveness of God, but you can't earn God's forgiveness. You can only receive God's forgiveness. But the, the trap is that if you think you can earn God's forgiveness, then you're going to make other people earn your forgiveness. You guys okay? I'm going to go over today. Sorry, timer clock person. If you think you can earn God's forgiveness, you'll make others earn your forgiveness. There's this old saying, you've probably heard it before. It says, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. And it's true. It's true. Hurt people, hurt people. And if you grew up in a home where your father or mother or both of them were, were abusive, whether it be verbally, physically, or sexually, where they hurt you, you, it, you have to understand that the reason why they hurt you is, is almost a guarantee is that someone in their life that should have loved them and made them feel safe hurt them as well. And it's a cycle that just continues as far back generationally as you can look. Because hurt people hurt people. But there's a greater truth than that. It's healed people help people. Saved people serve people. Come on, how many of you 
are thankful that you get to be a part of a church that serves our community. Yeah. If you're not serving, it must be your first Sunday here. Next Sunday, get involved. Save people, serve people, loved people, love people. And forgiven people, forgive people. But as long as we think we have to earn God's forgiveness, or we might even think that we are not worthy of God's forgiveness, which is completely and totally true, but he has given it to you anyway. Just as I was not worthy to be let off the hook that night in November when I was a teenager, I wasn't worthy, but it was given to me anyway. So I didn't, I didn't beg the sheriff's deputy, oh, please take me to jail. Please write me a ticket. It's what I deserve. No, I got in my car and slowly and safely observing all traffic laws, drove back to my house and laid in my bed quivering all night thankful to God that I wasn't in jail that night right come on you can't earn it but you can receive it so as you receive the forgiveness of God Jesus is saying that you need to also freely give the forgiveness that God's given you and here's the thing one day each and every one of us Christian or not will stand before God and we will give an account of our lives and this is what he says he goes later in Matthew 6 and he says this if you forgive Forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. James, the half-brother of Jesus, echoes this many years later, and he says, there will be no mercy for those. Come on, this sounds like Cobra Kai right now. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But... If you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I don't know about you, but I want to stand before God one day, having loved too much, not having judged too harshly. You know, when you stand before God, he's not going to be like, you know how you called that person out when they did that thing wrong? That was so good. I was so proud of you for standing up for what's right. Can I just tell you? I don't think that's going to happen. I think what we want to hear is how he will say to us, the grace and the love and the mercy I gave to you. You did not hoard it for yourself, but you gave it away freely to everyone who needed it. Micah 6.8. This is one of my favorite scriptures. What does the Lord require of you? Anytime somebody says, you know, I want to know what God's plan for my life is. Here you go. To act justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. To love mercy. Here's the thing. We love receiving mercy. but it's much harder to love giving it. But that is what God requires of us. C.S. Lewis, he, one of the greatest writers of the previous century said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. This morning, 
I was reading my devotion and it was the devotion for August 7th in my devotional book. It's a book called New Morning Mercies, which, you know, I should have known if I'm preaching on mercy, it might have something to say about it in there. Paul David Tripp wrote it and it came from this morning's reading and I actually just typed it out so I could share it with you. This is a section of what it said. He said, how is it possible that we who have been blessed with eternal love far beyond anything that we could ever have hoped to earn could be so regularly unloving to those around us? How could we ever fail to respond in mercy to others when we have been given mercy that is renewed with each new morning? Why are judgment and condemnation often our more natural responses to the sin, weakness, and failure of others than offering them the same grace that we have been given? Why are we so impatient when the extent of God's patience with us stands as one of the redemptive miracles of our lives? Why do we find it so hard to forgive when we have been forgiven at the price of the suffering and death of Jesus? And we say things like, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they hurt me. And that is true. And that is accurate. But can I tell you, Jesus would be able to say the same thing to you. You don't know. You don't understand the scope. You can't grasp the magnitude of your sin. But Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That even as my hands nailed him to the cross, he was looking at me and he was looking at you just as he was looking at those Roman centurions saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we have been given such a blessing in the mercy and grace of God. But the only way we can walk in the true fullness of all he has for us is if we will too be willing to offer what has been given to us. An upside down part of the kingdom. The world tells you, keep what you've got so you can keep it. But the kingdom says, give away freely so you can have more. It applies to everything. It, anything. You can talk about that with money. I, I don't know any person who is very generous who goes without, right? I, I, people, it, when, when, when we will allow ourselves to be a conduit instead of a bucket for God's blessings, for God's provision, for God's mercy, and for God's grace, we will always have a fresh supply waiting to be poured into our lives. I don't know. I don't know what they did. And I want to say this, this, somebody probably needs to hear this. You showing mercy and you forgiving that person who's hurt you does not mean that you condone their actions. It just means that you refuse to be controlled by a past that you can't change. It doesn't mean that, that they're good and, 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 and that what they did was okay. It just means that your present will not be robbed by their past hurts and failures and mistakes. We're called to show mercy. We're called to show mercy to those who make mistakes. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Come on, instead of thinking the worst, let's start being a people who believe for the best and offer the benefit of the doubt. We're called to show mercy to those who let us down, right? He goes on and he says in Colossians, almost the exact same thing he says in Ephesians. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. In other words, he's saying, go, go find a robe, go find a coat, clothe yourselves, put it on you of tenderhearted mercy. Go find you a, a shirt of kindness, put on the pants of humility. Come on, this is what he's saying. He's saying, put these clothes on, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I, I, I'm going to forgive anyone who offends you. You know, if you do life with somebody long enough, it's only a matter of time and opportunity before they offend you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We're called to show mercy to those who make mistakes. We're called to show mercy to those who let us down. And we're called to show mercy to those who don't have our hope yet. Yet. He says this to the church at Philippi. He says, do everything without complaining. Do everything without arguing. Wouldn't you like, you know, if you've got children at home, you'd be like, I wish they would do that. Well, you don't get what you want. You get what you plant. You, you reap what you sow. You get what you model. You don't get what you want. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know, there's a lot of talk in our churches today. It's probably been, I, I, ever since I became a Christian in the, in the early 2000s, a lot of talk about how bad the world is, how awful humanity is, how bad these certain groups of people are, how bad it is out there, how bad it is for our kids. And I'm just done with that. Nothing has ever made, nothing has ever gotten any better because we complained about it. I'm just over that. He says, shine like bright lights. Shine like lights in the darkness. So instead of complaining about the darkness, how about we just light a candle and do what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, actually be the light of the world, shining bright so that the world will see your good works, so that he will see your changed life, which is, you know, we're talking about these beatitudes, so that he will see that you are pure in heart, so that they will see that you are a person who offers mercy, so that they will see that you hunger and thirst for righteousness, so that they will see that you are a person who depends not on the things of this world for your pro, uh, provision and for your sustenance, but instead you depend on God, so that they will see your good works, so that they will see your life. They will see as 
they will see it as a model and an example as what could be. And they will say, you've got something I don't have and I want what you have. And you can say to them, it's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's about the relationship. It's about falling in love and knowing that you are loved and knowing that you are safe, knowing that you've been forgiven, knowing that you've been redeemed and knowing that all the sin in your past has been wiped clean from your slate and you are able to live a free life today. You're able to live a pure life. You, you see, you see, God's love and God's forgiveness is not the product of me trying to do right. Me being able to live in a way that honors him is a product of already having received his love, his grace and forgiveness. So let's stop judging a world that doesn't know Jesus as if they do. And instead of condemning and instead of complaining, model the light, model the hope, model the mercy, model the grace, model the forgiveness. Nobody has ever come to know Jesus because they lost a debate or because they lost an argument. But people all over the world, even today, I believe in Jesus' name, come to know the saving knowledge of Christ because they know that they are loved. And the love of God doesn't start with an encounter from heaven. It starts with with an encounter from you. You are Christ's ambassadors, Paul says. You are the one that has been commissioned to go forth. You are the one that has been given so freely this gift of grace and mercy. So take what you have, take what you've received and give it away. It doesn't mean that we condone things that we know that are wrong. It doesn't mean that we are okay with it. It just means that we still love people even if they do things we don't like. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage you today to embrace mercy like you've never embraced it. Some of you, I know your stories and, and I know you probably walked in with some things. Can I tell you, like, I, I still to this day, and it, I've told this, I've told you this before. There's something about me and a lawnmower that when I get on a lawnmower and, and, and the sound of the engine drowns out everything, that I just start thinking about things that happened in my childhood and I will grit my teeth and get mad. I will think I'm over something only to realize mm, I'm still mad about that thing that happened when I was in fifth grade. You know, my father's been dead since 1999 and sometimes I still find myself upset with things that he did, things that he said. I've been hurt before and sometimes I still struggle when those memories come back. Chances are you've been hurt before and you may still struggle sometimes with memories come back. It may have been recent. It may have been five decades ago. But at the end of the day, I want to encourage you to embrace, embrace mercy. Not for the sake of the person who has wronged you. But for the sake of the person who keeps drinking the poison of bitterness, rage, anger, and unforgiveness. Somehow expecting it to right or wrong, to exact vengeance, to, to somehow hurt that other person when the only thing it really does is poison your present and cast a dark cloud of despair over your future. That's all it does. So today, I want to invite you to 
close your eyes and bow your heads as you stand there right now. And if you would say, Pastor Drew, today I wanna forgive somebody. It might even be plural. There might be several people that you say to yourself, I need to forgive these people. I have carried anger in my heart and it's not hurting them, but it is hurting me. And I will not allow the hurt they caused me to hurt me now and to hurt me in the future. I forgive them. I don't necessarily condone what they did, but I'm not gonna hold it against them anymore. I wanna live in freedom and I wanna give away as Jesus called me to do so, the same mercy that he gave to me, I wanna give it to them. If that's you, if that's your prayer if that's your heart would you lift your hand high in the air I'm gonna pray for you right where you're standing I see you I see some of you a little hesitant you're like "Ah, I guess it's time it's today's the day today is the day today is today father I pray for these men for these women right now as they are letting go of past hurts as they are letting go of anger as they are letting go of unforgiveness as they are letting go of a past that they can't change of God but they are embracing a present and a future Lord where your mercy and your grace will flow in their life in a way like it has never flowed before in the name of Jesus now look at at me look at me listen I hope in that moment you were thinking about that person you were thinking about that instance here's the thing forgiveness is not a one-time event forgiveness is not a one-time event you it, it it's gonna come back see see we're not you're not only called to forgive in this moment you're called to live in it you're called to walk in it so later today when you're rehashing this message and you're thinking that ah, he just don't know pastor Drew just doesn't know what they did if he knew what they did if they knew what they said, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, because it's not that easy. And I get it. It's not. It's not that easy. But I want to encourage you, every time those memories pop back up, every time you start to grit your jaw like I do, just remind yourself, mercy's been given to me, and I will be a person who gives it away as well. And remember, as you hold on to that unforgiveness, the only person you're truly hurting is yourself. Because they're out doing their own thing. They don't even know you're mad at them anymore. They've moved on. You might as well move on too. One more altar call. And this is probably the hardest person in your life to show mercy to. Not a parent, not a former spouse, not a friend who stabbed you in the back, not a mean boss. No, this person, this person, if they had their way in your life, they would destroy it. If they always got what they wanted, they would ruin everything God has for you. And it's the hardest person to show mercy to in your life and in my life but you have also been called to show mercy to yourself. Can I tell you that God, in my opinion, is way easier to please than most of us are? In your bad day, anybody ever had a bad day? Where at the end of the day, you look back on it and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe what came out of my mouth. You listen to me, friend. Your bad day can't override the greatest day in history. God's grace and God's mercy is so much more powerful than your sin. It doesn't stand a chance.
So today, I know this will be a little different and I did go a little long today and I apologize. But if you need to receive the mercy of God for yourself, as well as forgive your own self, to stop rehashing those decisions that you've made, those words that you spoke, those things that you did, beating yourself up, feeling like you have to somehow earn forgiveness from God by being hard on yourself. But instead you would say, Lord, just as you have forgiven me, God, help me to forgive me. Help me to walk in grace for myself. It's not a license to just continue in the way you've been going, but it is the freedom to not be bound by the things you can't change. And that's to me, I don't know, maybe it's just for me. The hardest person in my life to forgive is me. Because <laughs> nobody knows how dumb I am better than I do. I don't care what you think. So today, if you need to receive mercy for yourself, to yourself, would you lift your hand just right as you stand, stand right there? Come on, lift it high. Come on. Is anybody else? Father, I pray for these men. I pray for these women. I pray, God, that they would begin to walk and they would begin to see themselves, Lord, the way you see them. God, you don't see us as dirty, messed up, broken sinners. God, you see us as sons and daughters that you cherish. When you look at us, Father, you don't see the mistakes. You don't see the sin. You don't see the problems that we wish we could change, Father. Instead, God, you see not who we were, but who you are making us to be. Perfected by your grace, transformed by your love, and empowered to live by your spirit that we would walk in that freedom today that we would walk in the newness of life and that as we freely receive the mercies of God for ourselves that we would freely offer it to those around us in Jesus name in Jesus name if we could just take a few moments and sing this chorus together as we receive. And I want to encourage you, just as we were worshiping earlier, that you would understand and recognize that his presence is here, that he wants to touch you. This message will not change your life by any means, but his presence will transform you from the inside out. So as we sing for just a few moments, you, the altars are open. You can stay at your seat. You can just don't leave. Just don't leave yet. Because this part of this message is just as important as any other part. So we take a few moments and allow the grace of God to do what only he can do in our lives. In Jesus' name. Go ahead, brother.